You're listening to our series on Ephesians. We hope this series will inspire and encourage you. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. Well, my name's Kathy, as Mark's already said. I am married to the wonderful Mark Kelly. And we have three children, Neve, Noah, and Nathaniel. This is for you guys who don't really know me or have never met me before. Um, and, uh, oh, let's think. I, okay. I'm 35. I love to blog. Um, um, I love making things. I love being a mum. I love spending time with people. So it's a real privilege to be able to share with you this afternoon. And this is my home church. This is where I've grown up since I was five years old. And I have been backwards and forwards a little bit in my later years. But um, yeah, this is my, my home church, my church family. So it's just wonderful to share with you. Okay, so as Mark said, um, this week we're looking at Ephesians 2. And I've entitled it, Please Take Your Seat. And hopefully you'll see why in a minute. I want to start by asking a question. And that is, does anyone know what it says on the inside cover of your passport? So not on the front cover, but the inside of the front. Any guesses as to what it might say or anyone know what it says at all? No? It's a requirement to offer us passenger citizens of the kingdom. On your UK passport? Yeah, isn't it? Of the king? Yeah, well, of... I'll read it to you, shall I? <laughs> Okay, this is, what it, well, this is what it says on the inside of my UK passport. It says, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requires, sorry, requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. That's what it says. Now, I remember, I don't know if... This lovely lady, Jean-Anne, will you just stand up? This is Jean-Anne, everyone. She doesn't know I'm going to do this. But Jean-Anne was one of our kids' workers when I was growing up. Thank you, Jean-Anne. You can sit down. (laughs) She remembers it well. And um, I don't know if you remember this one particular Sunday, but we were meeting with other churches in the region, and we had an all-out kids' session. So right from the very beginning of the meeting, the adults were upstairs. We were out doing really fun stuff. And we made and we filled in a passport. Do you remember? Remember it. Remember, this is when I was about seven. And um, the passport that we made, I've got it in a box somewhere, I think, at home. (laughs) Jean-Anne's got one too. And I kept it because it was one of those things that really stuck in my head as a truth to bring throughout my entire life. And I kept it as a reminder. So every time I look through that box it would remind me and the passport that we made was to say that we were citizens of heaven and it's that's a really important truth for us to grasp and that's where I want us to start today I am and you are citizens of heaven we belong to God and the kingdom of heaven so you may have a UK passport you may have an Iranian one a Dutch one a Brazilian one a French one but your heavenly passport supersedes any of these. I just want to read Philippians 3.20, which says, but there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. 
We're waiting the arrival of the Saviour, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. He's making us into his masterpieces. Last week, Mark shared from Ephesians 1, and he talked about the promise we have of being in Christ, that we're all accepted in the beloved. Remember, he entitled it, Stop Putting Yourself Down. And this week, we're going to focus on the position we have in Christ, which is seated with him in the heavenly realms. I just want to pray before we go any further. Um, So close your eyes, whatever you want to do, I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning, that everything that's shared and discussed among us, Lord God, that that would go, it would find a, a place deep rooted farther inside in our spirits, Lord God, that you would encourage us and challenge us, that your presence would be here, Lord God. Amen. Okay, if you bear with me, I'm going to read um, Ephesians 2 from the Message Translation. So if you've got a Bible with you, please follow it in your translation. If you don't have a Bible, there are some just outside in the foyer. And uh, let's begin. Okay, oh, I need to give you a warning, actually. Very serious warning. This could seriously change your life today. This stuff, or should I say this truth could transform you into a mature believer. Not overnight, but it could begin that transformation of of becoming a mature believer. So are you ready? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, then I'll begin. Okay. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. That sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own, with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus the Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in the world and the next, to shower shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work that he has got ready for us to do, work we'd better be doing. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's way had no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. 
hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you, who were once out of it altogether, are in on everything. Wow. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers nor outsiders. You belong here with just as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. We'll just let that sink in while I have a drink. So in these opening verses of chapter 2, it describes the depths from which Christ lifted us to the heights he has now positioned us. Paul underlines our condition without Christ. We were dead, disobedient, debauched, and doomed. If you're already, already a follower of Christ, just think about where it is that you have come from in life. But when we meet Jesus, we've become a new creation. Once dead in sin, we are now alive in Christ. And more than alive, we are seated together with him in the heavenly realms. Writing to the Romans, Paul said, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And that's from Romans 5.17. Because of Jesus and what he overcame, we can reign in life. And that's what I want to look at this afternoon. Look at four different areas where we can reign in life. The first is reigning over the devil. In Ephesians chapter 1, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms far above all, with all things placed under his feet. And in chapter 2, Paul declares the incredible fact that we are seated together with Christ. Our inheritance is a seat in the heavenly realms, not in the future, but right now. Therefore, what's under his feet also comes under ours. 
we can walk through this world exercising our position and authority in Christ. There's no need to be pushed around or intimidated by the devil anymore. He is a former resident of heaven, but we are the current ones. Jesus said himself in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The only power the devil has over us is when we allow him to rob us of the rightful inheritance of our position. So how can we place the devil under our feet? I want to quickly give you five things that you can do and a scripture to form the foundation of each of these things. So the first thing is reaffirm your position in Christ. Ephesians 2.6 says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Number two, remind the devil he is a defeated foe through Christ's shed blood. Revelation 12, 10 to 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Number three, identify any attacks. Submit yourself to God and resist them. James 4, 7 encourages us. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number four, refer the devil to what God has said in his word. This is the most powerful thing. Matthew 4, 4 to 10. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you were the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So refer the devil to what the word says. Number five, rejoice in your position. The devil is under your feet. Luke 10, 20 says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. The next area I want to look at is reigning over the past. And so many people are dogged by their past, conditioned by memories of failure, hurt, rejection and disappointment that drag them down from the heavenly realms. The inner child of the past, which is easily hurt, demanding, self-centered, holds grudges, settles scores and jockeys for position, they so often militate against the development and flow of love in our lives. 
Paul says in Philippians 3.13, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. You see, if we let it, the past can retain a hold on us, influencing and affecting the present and threatening our future. But the past doesn't have to dictate and determine our future, keeping us from realizing our inheritance. We must release the past, let it go, bring it to the cross, forgive and leave it there. It's as though Paul is saying in that scripture, forget it, move on. That's a decision we have to make, to bury it at the cross and then step from the cross into the throne room. Take your rightful position, shake off the shackles of the past that's pulled you down, bring your future into focus and receive the inheritance of freedom and joy that God has for you now. Yesterday we were in a shop and um, I came across, I think it's just a little uh, coaster. And I just said, Mark, Mark, take a picture of this. Because I just thought this really tied in with what we were saying today. So that's what that is. Okay, the third area we are to reign in is over our circumstances. How often have you heard someone say, when asked how they're doing, not bad under the circumstances? Yeah, we hear that a lot, don't we? I heard of a businessman who had a sign on his desk that read, keep looking down. Shouldn't that say, keep looking up? A Christian friend asked. No, he said. I am seated together with Christ, and that's to remind me that I don't have to live under the circumstances anymore. When you have the vantage point of a seat at the throne and a position in heavenly realms, you can view things from God's point of view. This revolutionizes many of the struggles and difficulties we experience in life, enabling us to respond to his grace and not react to the problem. This adds depth and richness to our Christian living. It's so important that our perspective comes from our position of the throne. We must ask God to enable us to see life from his point of view. His point of view and heaven's perspective is found first in his word. And the supply of grace we have access to is through Christ's resurrected power. The last area is reigning in life. And this is not something for the future, but it's for the here and the now. As we take our position with Christ, we start reigning in life, one area at a time. Someone once commented, we can be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. This is not possible. It's actually only when we're heavenly minded that we can be any earthly good. Remember, we're in this world, but we're not of it. Remember, you're a citizen of heaven. The whole purpose of our position in Christ is to enable us to draw on his power, living effectively in all of life, from being on time to paying the bills, to fulfilling our responsibilities and caring for our families. We all know the areas in our lives where we need to change our perspectives. Some may be small areas, others may be huge. But identifying those things for ourselves is so important because then we can really submit those things to God and we can ask him to get his point of view on those things. So we are called to and we're positioned to reign over the devil, over the past, 
over our circumstances and in every area of life. Now, as per last week, you should actually Paul Airy, he's over here, he's going to hand out some questions. So we're going to follow the same kind of um, structure, I guess, as we did last week. And around your tables, I'd like you to just discuss one of these questions. And you'll see in the top right-hand corner, when they come to your table, there is a number. And that is the number of the question we want you to discuss on your tables. So this is really an opportunity to dig a bit deeper into this stuff, to get contribution from everyone, to, yeah, to just enjoy God's word together. And um, there's not going to be a test at the end of it. I'm not even going to ask for any feedback. Um, But this is just for you. And uh, by all means, um, carry on these discussions after today as well. So I'm going to give you about 15 minutes to do that before we uh, begin our worship time. Um, We were once dead, but now we've been made alive with Christ. We're saved by grace. But more than that, we've not only been pulled out of the pit, but we've been given a position and access in the heavenly realms alongside Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We must recognize and fully accept this position in Christ rather than be ruled by our life. We must... Is that okay? Swaps. We must take our rightful authority by reigning in the four areas that we've looked at today. And all of these require spiritual discipline. But I believe that the more we reign in one area, the more it'll help other areas to come into line with God's will and his purposes. As we submit fully to God we'll come more fully into our inheritance, which is for the here and now. And we will become more and more mature in our walk with him and be more effective in building his kingdom. So how do we practically reign in life? Colossians 1.9 in J.B. Phillips's letters to young churches says, we are asking God that you may see things as it were from his point of view by being given spiritual insight and understanding And that's what reigning in life is all about, having God's perspective and taking control and charge of our lives in the light of it. So I want to quickly suggest some things you can do every day. I'm not going to go into depth with these, but um, maybe if you make a note of them and just think about how you can apply these things. So the first thing is commit your ways to God. Meditate on the truth from God's word. Reaffirm your position and standing in Christ. Remind the devil that he is a defeated foe. Make choices consistent with God's eternal principles. Respond to God's supply of grace before reacting to life's circumstances. Put the past behind you and reach forward to what is ahead. And on your tables, you'll see some text in the shape of a bell. Can you see that? And um, it looks like this. And I've made some copies of that because um, a while ago, a few years ago, Andrea made a copy for us. And um, I think it was at Christmas time one year. And um, mine has been up uh, on the wall in in my kitchen at home. And um, same for you guys, yeah. Yeah. And um, I spend quite a lot of time in the kitchen clearing up or making meals or doing washing or whatever. And I just, I I can't say that it's every day, but I do often look at this 
bell and I pick one thing and I just mull it over and meditate on it and, and, and tell myself the truth of what I'm reading. So I wanted to give you that because I've just said to you two of the ways that you can do this every day to practically reign in life is meditate on truth from God's word and reaffirm your position and standing in Christ. And I think that will, that's a start anyway. And it's been a real help to me. Yes, John? I don't actually know why it's... Oh, because it was Christmas. I don't... Yeah, I think that's why it's in a bell shape. Um, yeah. Okay, so now Jesus. Let's come back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus Christ built his life on spiritual principles that enabled him to walk through this world seeing life from God's point of view. He said, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. You can find that in John 8, 28-29. He recognized that he was his father's child. And therefore, nothing could work successfully against him. At every crossroad, he knew which way to take and was always in the place that he should be, seeing the whole meaning of his ministry and purpose on earth from God's point of view. John 5, John 5 19 says, The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And all of this applies to us too, because we're in Christ. We're positioned with Christ, and we are becoming like Christ. I believe that what we've looked at in Ephesians 2 this afternoon demands a response. So we're going to start the worship time in a minute, and I, I want you to just take time to respond in your own way to maybe something that you've discussed around your tables or something that I've said, something that I've read from God's Word. And one of the things I felt that God said whilst I was preparing for today was that one of the things that keeps us lukewarm as Christians is our past. But I don't know about you, I want to be a red-hot, on-fire Christian. I don't just want to be a lukewarm one, otherwise what's really the point? So I want to invite anyone who feels held back by their past, held back from fully stepping into the position that God's given them and the authority that comes with it to rule in life, I want you to come, maybe just come down to the front and me and Mark and maybe a few others will just pray for you. If you really feel that that's spoken to you today and you're in that place, we want to see you receive healing, uh, walk into freedom, and move into the position that Christ has given you. So Mark's just going to begin the worship. And if that's you, just come and we'll pray. If not, enjoy this worship time. Enjoy responding to God.